From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Man Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Man Cometh. Well, if you're hearing that familiar ukulele sound, you know it must be Thursday evening, 7pm, here in Hobart in the Edge Radio studios. And that means it's time... For the Dice Men Cometh with myself, Mark. And myself, Leon. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't be silly, Leon's so Leon. Leon who? He's working or not working, but he is very much alive. He just... Apparently. He's, he's busy with his chocolate. And it's episode 285 this evening here on the 21st of November. Now, Garth, we are both very excited about what's happening on the 22nd of November, which is, of course in our time live here in the studio tomorrow. That's right. This is just like Christmas Eve. Except We've got a whole bunch of presents that we know are coming tomorrow. But the big difference is the big fat man is not bringing them to us. He's going to pick us up from the airport. No, well, I get to travel with him <laughs> to Canberra because Mark and I are heading to the nation's capital and we are, yes, very, very excited to be going to LFG's Essen Unplugged where for three days... Friday and Saturday and Sunday at the Eastlake Football Club, we get to play all the newest stuff. Oh, and we've seen lots of photos of games being unpacked, and we might mention a few more of those later on at the end of tonight, if we've got time. But, Garth, yeah. we've got a game, one heck of a game. Have we ever? Well, the rule book alone is probably going to take about 35 minutes to go through. <laughs> it is that thick and chunky. Of course, well, not of course, because you've got no idea. But the game we are talking about is Stonemaier Games' latest massive bomb burster release that's taken the world mostly by storm. Yeah. That is Tapestry. Correct. We couldn't even wait for Jamie Stegmeyer to find a sort of a scrappy, half-kicked version in a corner somewhere that he might send to us. So, Garth, yep. you rushed out. Spent your birthday money. I have apparently spent my birthday money. <laughs> I trusted that Neil, who was very kind to hand deliver this game, has charged me. I don't know. <laughs> so yes. it's cost me some money, possibly. It has, definitely. So we're going to talk yeah. about Tapestry by Jamie Stegmeyer and Stonemaier Games for the major part of the show. As long as we've got stuff to say. There's a lot to talk about. But let's have a break. Go and have a song. And come back before we talk about tapestry. You're with the Diceman Cometh here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. There we have Florence and the Machine here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the hardest of hearts. You are with the Dice Men Cometh here on Edge Radio. Proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. We've already talked about their amazing event happening in Canberra this weekend, mm. Essen Unplugged. But they also have a retail presence in Canberra and an online retail presence at lfg-aus.com.au. Make sure you check that out. And we are so happy that they are sponsoring. As we're moving forward, the Dice Men. Yeah, I know. Isn't now, Garth. Story? Yes, I know we've got to do what we're actually here to do. Yeah, this game. Yeah, so look, we are, as Mark mentioned, talking about Tapestry by Stonemeyer Games. For anyone who doesn't know Stonemeyer, they, look, they've had a pretty amazing catalogue of games. 
Scythe is currently the 10th best game in the world, mm. according to the BGG rankings. You've got Viticulture, which is the 20th best game, and that was the essential edition we're talking about. You've got Charterstone, which is possibly one of your favourites, if not your favourite legacy game, Mark, yeah, go pretty of close. all time. We've got Euphoria, which is quite an interesting game to play. And now we've added Scythe to this. There are certainly other games, but they are the ones that most board gamers... You mean Tapestry. ...would know. Uh, what did I say? You said Scythe. Oh, I said Scythe again. Tapestry. So we've got Tapestry in this. Now, Tapestry has the thinnest rulebook of any Stonemaier game that I have personally played, and it comes in at a whopping two double-sided pages. Any review that you have seen or read or watched or listened to will mention the rulebook because there is nothing of it. There is two double pages. The first page gives you all the backstory you need to know to get really into this civilization game where you're going to be building your civilization from just some people who can rub two sticks together and make fire all the way to go into space, courtesy of some mushrooms. And even Leon would approve of this rule book because what it also has on the very front page has a picture of the board set up, has numbers against all the different bits and then a list of... All the different bits with the numbers next to them. The Correct. perfect guide. So let me paint you a picture straight from the rule book to get you in the civilization zone. Create the civilization with the most storied history, starting at the beginning of humankind and reaching into the future. The paths you choose will vary greatly from real world history. Your civilization is unique. Do you, do you feel invested, Mark? Do you feel like you've got complete control over the mm. destiny that your civilization is going to have? Maybe. That's good. So there's your opening sentence. That's all you need to know. And in fact, all you get from this particular rule book in terms of theme. <sighs> We're not going to go through all the rules in this game, but your turn boils down yep. very, very simply to one of two things. The one thing that you can do is basically resetting your era, your civilization, and getting resources, which is what you're going to use to fuel the ongoing era that you've got. You've got four main resources. You've got culture, you've got money, you've got people, and you've got food. And the most of those you'll ever be allowed to have is eight, and they are very beautiful little plastic tokens that you'll get, and you'll slide them up and down on your very beautiful individual player board. And you need them to do every single thing in the game. Mm. So they're very, very important. That's one turn is basically resetting, progressing your civilization through the next era and going on and on and on. And that has some other tricks that will come along. You'll use your civilization benefits and you'll use some other cards and we'll get to those in a bit more detail down the track. But the other thing you're going to be doing is advancing your civilization along one of four tracks, which is what is... Making up, you know, the borders of the, the board, really. You've got your military track, you've got your exploration track, you've mm. got your technology track, and you've got your science track for science. And you'll be moving your very normal-looking little cube up all of those tracks as far as you dare go or as far as you can afford to go with mm. the resources that you're going to have. And every time you move one step up, you're going to be able to do a thing or maybe two things or maybe a couple of things and get a bonus action if you spend some more resources. Now, the game ends after all civilizations, as in all players, have 
taken their civilization to the fifth era, mm. which is kind of just final scoring. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this is that's not going to happen at the same time for all the players around the table. Now, there's, in typical Stonemaier fashion, a one-player version. You've got the Automa deck and Automa rules and a separate Automa player board and all of that stuff, all the way up to five players. It does say it takes 90 to 120 minutes. The first time we played it, Mark, it was very much more in the, what, 180 mark? Probably closer to, to about three hours from start to finish, I reckon. Yeah, and... That was just the three of us, wasn't it? No, 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 there was four. There was yourself, there was myself, there was Carl, and there was Bo. Oh, yes, yes. I forgot about Carl because he was just sitting there quietly not really understanding <laughs> what was happening. That's right, yeah. So two, two four-player games we've played. Yep. The first one took, as we said, about three hours. The second one, again, because we had two new players again, mm. in the second one... Took about the same. A little bit, a little bit about the same. Certainly yeah. felt faster though. Yeah. Uh, I think in the initial part of the game. And, and look, I guess the main thing that everyone is saying about this game, apart from, oh my god, look at it, it's so pretty, and I'm sure you'll want to talk oh, about yes. that, is that it is not a civilization game. It is in that it's about growing your civilization from nothing all the way through to the fifth era, but there's no logical progression to that. You don't go from creating fire to then creating tools to then creating the wheel to then creating something and then finally I get to create nuclear power. You could be creating these things in a whole bunch of different orders depending on the tapestry cards that you play. Yep. And, and in terms of the technology cards yeah. that you're going to be getting and and that's where for those diehard civilization I want to start with nothing in progress. It's it's not that kind of game. It's about moving cubes up tracks that will release the ability to do things and the end of each track is going to get you the monster victory points. But that doesn't feel thematically like me building the civilization that I'm running. Yeah, it has it has a theme of civilizations mm. and of the, 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 although the tracks have a progression yes. and on your player board there's a progression, you have those technology cards that you mentioned where... Things just come out at random. Yep. And you have your tapestry card where there's a whole bunch of things from where you start off where there's no card, where it's fire. Then you could invent, I can't remember the name, but, the, you know, the one with big tanks. Yes. Then you could have democracy. Then you could have the Age of Sail, and it just could be all over the place. Correct. So let's go to the, the individual player boards because, mm. look, you've got a central board and that's where the four tracks are. There's also a big map where each of your civilizations will start on their own little island. But your own individual player board has got three components to it. The first one is your actual civilization. Now, at the start of the, the game, everyone's going to get randomly dealt two civilizations and you'll choose one and discard the other one back into the pile. You've got your main player board, which is going to have your four income tracks. And the income tracks are basically, you've got five different coloured houses for each, each of these tracks. And during the course of the game, you'll be taking the houses off those tracks and placing them onto your main city, your mm. capital city for the most part. There are civilizations that can do other things with those houses, but for the most part, you'll take the house off your income track and put it onto your, your capital city. Now, your capital city is a three-by-three Sudoku-looking grid where some of the squares are already blocked out with impassable terrain with a bright red dot on them. And the goal of that is really city planning, kind of, yeah. because you want to fill up the city 
with as many buildings, both your little ones that you uh, have on your income board and the landmark buildings, which are the glorious, beautiful ones that you will get during the game. And you want to be creating complete three-by-three grid squares that are covered up because every time you do that, you get a free resource and resources are king. Mm. But you also want to be creating lines and lines are nine long, potentially. Yes. So you've got columns, which are the horizontal ones, and you've got your rows, which are your vertical ones, other way around. And you want to make as many of those as possible because in your scoring phase, you're going to get one point for every completed line that you've created, Mm. row or column. So starting with your civilization, they come, I think, 16 in the the game, and they are remarkably different. Some of them will give you bonuses that are just during the course of your game, during your turn, you'll be able to do something a little bit different to one of the, uh, your competitors. And this has probably been one of the, I'd say, the main... You know, look, not everyone loves this game. No. And I think the main critics, the first thing they sort of grab onto is those civilizations. they're so different. And, you know, how do you possibly balance, not just them against each other, but... You know, if one person, if the particular combination that you have on the board. Yes, and that's true. And I guess, you know, they're trying to make you as an individual player, you have your two, you get to choose the one that you think is going to work best for your style of play or that you think is going to be the most powerful, I guess. But it is completely random what the other players are going to get. So there's there could be, you know, a strategy that you want to go and employ you look at your civilization, and none of those civilizations are in line with what you as the player want to achieve in this game. I want to go all the way up the space track and go to space. Yeah. And you might have something that just doesn't help that goal at all. And look, I think, you know, in answer to this, I think firstly they've mitigated it a bit by the fact that you get two yes. and you get to choose. Mm-hmm. I did read a review today where they're talking about they've done a house rule where you get three and get to choose because they really don't like the, the randomness. But I think... Therein lies part of the puzzle of, okay, I've got this civilization. How am I going to build an engine with that civilization? Correct. And that's exactly right. So, for example, uh, when we played a a couple of days ago, brother-in-law Trent, he had the the nomads. And Mm. the nomads, their job is to try and move around a bit because that's what they do. But he didn't kind of play up that until maybe halfway through to the to the game, and, yeah. You know, and that was because it was his first game, and that can be a little bit overwhelming, and it just was what it is. And your first game, your ambition was to go to space. Well, I I had read about the the ability to go yeah. to space, and I so wanted to go to space, and then the civilization I had, the leaders, I think it was, just gave me an opportunity to go up once on each of the four tracks in each of the four eras, which didn't really help me sort of specialise in one track. No. And in the end, I didn't get to space. But, hey, you got to realise those leaders didn't want me to go to space. That's right. space is dark and cold. Correct. So there are a whole bunch of different ones of those, and we've, we've seen quite a few of them now. We've seen at least eight different ones, which mm. is half of the potential options. But there are no shortage of potential expansions that you could fit oh, in just absolutely. by putting in some more civilizations yeah. there. So they will have benefits either passively throughout the course of the game or during the income phase because the very first part of almost every income phase, in fact, it's everyone except the first one, is you do your civilization ability if you can. Yep. And that will typically give you some extra victory points or some extra resources or some extra cards 
they're usually going to be the three things that you might get. Then you've got your central tapestry board, and that's, as I say, where you've got the income tracks. Now, that's where you're going to be keeping track of how much money you get every income phase, how many people you get, how many cultures you have, and how many foods you get to eat. But it's also where you're going to be keeping track of the tapestry cards that you play. Now, over the course of the game, you are only going to play three, Except, unless yeah. you've got a tapestry card that allows you to play other ones, or if you play tapestry cards in a different way, because there are some of them called trap cards. Now, the tapestry cards that you're playing are basically the direction that you want your civilization to be going, but it'll offer you one of two benefits. One benefit will be when you play the card, a thing happens. It might be you get victory points for certain number of buildings that you've got in your capital city, yeah. or it might be the number of victory points equal to someone else's position on the track, or it might be... I get to copy another civilization's ability for, for a one-off shot mm -hmm. or something to that effect. There are numerous one-off abilities. Or you've got a special, a, a, an ability that will count for the whole era and an era is running until you decide to do your next income phase and get more resources. I've found typically the ones that are for when played aren't as powerful as ones that are playing out for the era because at least when it's for the era, it's giving you a bit more of a direction. What are you going to do? What are you yeah. going to focus on for this era? Because the abilities that um, I've seen have been ones where whenever you have to pay a resource for a bonus action or a bonus uh, thing, that's free. Oh, that you don't have really to pay one, that yes. resource and that's really, really helpful. Mm. Or there might be another one that allows you to, instead of when you're gaining one thing, you get to gain two things instead and double your return on investment. And that's incredibly important. There is a very sizable chunk of uh, tapestry cards. There is a deck of 50. Yeah. And again, there's another expansion. Mm. You know, you add another, you add 10 new civilizations, 30 new tapestry cards. Yep. There's an expansion right Correct. there. Now, the thing is, the tapestry cards have absolutely nothing to do with the civilizations mm. that you're in. So, tapestry cards are basically potentially a form of government, like I might say meritocracy, or I might say... Um, democracy. Democracy, or it might say dystopia, or it might say the pirate life for me. It, it has a whole bunch of different effects, and you'll read the card. It's very simple to understand mm. what the card does because it just has a little bit of text, and you go, okay, I get that. You'll be playing those during the course of the game in your income phase. Then, as I said, you've got your capital city and you'll be aiming to fill it up in squares and lines and rows. And until you've been playing a little while, you're just going to be placing your little income buildings on there. And it's only when you do a thing that promotes your worker, your cube along one of the tracks to the next of four eras, because there are each track has four Sections, sections, I guess, like, yeah. uh, thematically named one, two, three, and four. <laughs> the first player to go into the next one of those gets a landmark building. Yes. And they are beautiful. Oh, my goodness. They are glorious. They are designed by a person called Ron Brown, who is a New Zealander. Yes. And they look glorious. They are three-dimensional. They are fully painted. They are spectacular. And they will very much fill up your capital city board Kinda. And look, I heard a story, and I don't know how much this is true, that Jamie Stegmeyer saw these buildings or ones like it and fell in love with them so much 
he decided he'd design a game that used them. Now, obviously, he might have had the kernel of a game idea already in mm. his head. Who knows how far along it was? But that he was so impressed with these things that it was basically like, I'm going to have to find some way to use them in a game. Yeah. Now, that may or may not be true. I don't know. Well, I've, I've heard that too, so okay. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. He was just in New Zealand travelling with his partner, so no mm. doubt I would assume they might have said hello and said, oh, Tapashi's going all right, and Ron went, yeah, it is. Can I make some more moulds, please? <laughs> um, so, look. That's your individual player board. And then we go into the each of the four tracks. And the, the four tracks allow you to do four different things. You've got your exploration track, which essentially allows you to build and expand your civilization on, first of all, the world map that is the central part of the, the main player board. And you'll be doing exploring or you'll be doing collection of tokens, uh, which are little hexes that'll form the, the map as you go. Um, at the end of the track, you'll get to go to space where you'll again get some hexes. They just don't go on the board because space isn't part of the world. Space is a different part of space. space. And that's all exploration is. You will you will go along that track. It'll cost you more and more resources the further you go, but the further up, the bigger the victory point return is potentially going to yeah. be. Then you've got military. Military is kind of taking advantage of the fact that you've expanded the world map because that's when you want to take control over all of that. You want to conquer it. You want to stop your rivals from having ownership of that. And you'll be expanding that and taking over um, different hexes. And the reason you want to do that is because you get to roll the conquer die whenever you do a conquer action. One of the conquer die has just a random number of victory points from a couple to seven, I think is the maximum. And the other die has resources. And whenever you do a conquer action, which is I've taken over a hex, you roll those two die and you typically just choose whichever result you want. Do I want some victory points or do I want potentially some resources? Yep. And that is kind of the most fighting that you'll have in this game. It's really not area control at all, but it is a little bit in some respects. But it's not... Mark, I'm attacking you and I'm going to lay down, down the smack for the whole game. No. And you will get personally offended by that because it's just, oh, you topple down my outpost, but I'm still there. Yeah. It just it, doesn't, doesn't count a bit. Even on that military track, you know, there are 12 spaces. Mm. Only four or five of them I'll have, say it half at have most, that yeah. conquer action. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, you're just conquering a blank hex that you put down earlier. It's only when you're adjacent to another civilization, and if there's only one of those outposts in there, can you go in there? Now, some civilizations have ways to put extra outposts in because you can only ever have two things on a tile. Yep. So if you can manage to get two things on the tile, you cannot be conquered Correct. by another person. So, yeah, there's not a lot of interaction. It's not like someone's going to come along and smash you. Reminds me, in that way, like Scythe, where, yes, you can go out and attack people, but there's only so much to be gained. You can only gain two of those, the Scythe stars, from attacking. And once you do that, there's no further benefit. That's right. Apart from you sort of you send the other person home, maybe you steal their resource or something. But it's it doesn't behove you to just attack, 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 no. attack, because it's going to be a waste of time. You could do other things. It is. There is certainly an advantage to having more areas that you control, though, because part of the uh, the victory point is going to be you get a victory point for every area yeah. you control. And if you manage to get a whole bunch of your armories, which are one of your little income buildings off your, your board, if you get all of them off, every control, every hex you control is worth two victory points. Yep. So there's certainly a, a reason you want to control more things. 
But the exploration track and the military track are kind of the easy ones. Technology is then the next easiest because it's basically you're going to be getting a whole bunch of technology cards, which are, again, there's a very sizable deck of those. Mm -hmm. They'll always be three face up. And essentially they are free things that you invent and the order in which you invent them is completely luck-driven. So, again, I could invent, I don't know... Penicillin? Penicillin before I've invented uh, glasses. Or I could invent uh, a rocket before I invent... A tractor? Yeah. So, there's, again, there's no kind of like seven wonders, ages of no. progression and thing. It's just a random shuffle of the dice and here they are. Now, the way they, they are going to work is you'll, you'll invent them, which means that you got the card... But you don't get a benefit for that until you upgrade them. And you can upgrade each card precisely twice. Mm -hmm. When you upgrade it the first time, you will get a benefit. And the benefit, there's many of them. Mm. But it might be a free advancement on one of the, the other tracks. Or it might be some victory points. Or it might be a resource. Or it might be some tiles that you can then use to explore. Or it might be a tapestry card or another technology card or anything. Yeah. There are... 33 of those. There you go. So there's a lot of those. The second time you can upgrade each of them, you'll get a benefit and the benefit will be better. Those benefits also sometimes have a prerequisite so that you can't just go and upgrade them twice. Mm. Bearing in mind you can only ever upgrade during an income phase or when mm -hmm. you progress very further down the technology track. Or some other tricky little ways sometimes. Correct. Yes. But the final benefit when you upgrade it you know, to the to the most advanced, which is a second tier one, is it might be a really cool one shot action, or it might be another building. Even there are a couple of other buildings that can then come out there and take up more space in your capital city. A few of them I saw. The first half was like put a building down, and then the second half was you get victory points for that type of building. Exactly. So they're, they're again very very simple to understand, and the upgrade mechanic is a piece of cake. Yeah. The cards start at the bottom of your capital city player board. Yes. They move to the middle and then they move to the top. That's it. Yeah. Now, again, having them, if you then pursue a strategy of taking a whole bunch of, is it markets, the, one of the income buildings off your, your player board? Yes. That gives you more victory points for every technology card you have. So, again, you can have technology cards that are worth one VP each, but if you've managed to take all those row of buildings off uh, your, your player board, they might be worth three VPs yeah. each, and then you really want to make sure you're getting as many tapestry cards as you can because they just scale in value and it's really, really cool. That's mainly what the technology track is going to be. There's certainly some other bits and pieces where you'll get tapestry cards and a few other things, but that's the main part of it. And then you've got science. And science is a <laughs> bit weird, yes. as science has a tendency yes. to be. The most weird part of it is the science die, and the reason is you're going to do something, but you don't know what it's going to be because you go up on the science track and you roll the science die, and that allows you then to go up on the track that you rolled. So you're rolling a D12. Presumably there are three of each of symbols of each yeah, of the tracks. I didn't checked. even look. Yeah. But it's just a random promotion. You go up one space... But early on in the science track, you don't get to do anything. It's just a free progression, yeah. but you lose the benefit. And it can be really, really frustrating because you want to go up the science track because there's lots of really cool things up yep. there. But you're working towards a strategy and you go, well, I, I want to be this far up the military track and I want to be that little bit of explorer and I'm going up the technology track to do a thing. And if you roll the die and get the one result that's really going to screw it up or not give you the action that you really want to do... It's frustrating. You know what I'd say, Garth, though? What? Uh, and I have, again, I've heard this criticism online is, 
surely if there's an action you really need to do, well, I'd say do that action, don't go on the science track, and then maybe go on the science track the next turn because to, to, to put it down to chance, well, that means there's a chance you will fail. Well, that's what science is all about. That's right. Look at Edison. He stole all his ideas from Tesla. Correct. So that's the science track for the most part, but you'll also get to do other things there. You, you'll get to place more buildings. You'll get to potentially um, copy an action from another one of the advancements you'll tracks. You'll get more resources. More resources and all that. So this, the science track is all a, a bit kooky, but it's a bit of fun. Hey, Garth. Yes. I've still got a whole lot more to say about this game. We, we haven't even really started talking about our thoughts. No. Let's give the people a little rest. They can take a breath, make themselves a cup of tea or something stronger perhaps because we're going to come back and talk about what we think about this game. We're probably going to talk a bit more about how it works because there's so much to say. But when we talk about what we think about it, there could be a lot of talking um, I'll try not to get paranoid. Hello, everyone. It's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Dice Men Cometh, just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, Essen Unplugged, and even hopefully early next year, CanCon, where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice it, but we certainly do because, unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But, hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. Well, there you go. That was garbage with, I think I'm paranoid. You think I'm paranoid too, Mark. Uh, uh, when it comes to playing games with you, Garth, I, I am paranoid. <laughs> so, Mark, I've explained the game. What did we think about it? Where would you like to start? Oh, oh look, I'm just saying, while we were listening to that track, where do you start with a conversation about this game? And, look, let's start at the easy bit. Mm. Production value. Yeah. Oh, my Goodness. So first, of course, everyone's seen the buildings. They're absolutely gorgeous. They are. The look, even down to those the civilization card bo boards, the capital card boards, they have a feeling that I've never felt from a card before. It's textured like sort of sexy sandpaper yeah, it's, almost. It's, 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 I was trying to think, what's the word that it's less than sandpaper, but it's not rough. It's just gives you a feeling it's sort of sensual. Uh, yeah, you could almost exfoliate to it. Um, and the, the art's all done by Andrew Bosley. So he's the one who's behind uh, Everdell, Mission Red Planet, mm. um, River by what's Days, of Wonder. Days of Wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's got a little bit of credentials when it comes to doing art. Yeah, so so the 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 graphics and the graphic design look fantastic. We talked about these buildings; they're amazing. 
might come back to them again a little while down the track. Yeah, of course. Um, but then, you know, you've got your little plastic, um, you know, the, the markets, the farms, the armories. And the houses. And the houses sit across your player board. You've got little cubes. The board is really nice. The the um, hexes you put on the board are yep. really nice. The colours are all really nice. Yeah, the but rounded edges on the corner of the board. Just those little things that I hadn't seen before. It's just, I don't know if it's a marketing marvel, but it, it's just, it's glorious to behold. Yeah. And you can, you know, if you see this on the table, it's just like, <gasps> it's just amazing, yeah. and so many people are going to buy it just for that. Yep. You're 100% right. The only thing from a, an outsider looking in is I just wish that instead of having little tiny plastic cubes, mm. you had something that was identifiable rather than just your colour. So a little, you know, beautiful meeple or something that is at least showing my civilization as opposed to just a red cube. It just feels like red cubes and blue cubes and green cubes are everywhere. Give me something that's more personalised for my civilization. Well, I think that's the thing is once you start to go down this track mm. of I'm going to make a beautiful game, where do you stop? Yes. I mean, I look at Stonemeyer and I look at their player board for Scythe. They were the ones who pioneered the recessed board why is there not a recessed board in this game for all your little houses to sit? Yep. You know, even your capital... Well, I know the recessing probably wouldn't work because things are different shapes. But certainly those little houses, because, you know, you it's very easy to bump them. Yes. So I wonder why they didn't go a, a recessed board there. Maybe it was just too much. A lot of people have said, well, you know, if you took these buildings out of the game and the other little houses and everything, and everything was just cubes and bits of cardboard... This game would cost half the price. Mm -hmm. But my counter-argument to that would be so much about board games is what it looks like, what it feels like, and that joy of making something, of building something. Now... Well, just think about what we were saying about Maracaibo last week. Yes. You know, it felt like it was a game from the 90s. You know, having to put two little tiny circular discs on your individual player board yes. 12 times. So there's 24 of these things that you will bump over. And do you know what was funny, Garth? <laughs> I'm sure you saw this, I but did. Alexander Fister actually replied to our tweet saying, thanks for the review and, by the way, those discs are bigger than the ones in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so, yes, fair enough, Alex, they are. So it's absolutely gorgeous. It is. The same thing goes for the tapestry cards. They look great. The technology cards, they look beautiful. Oh, the art. I mean, the, the art in this game, <clears throat> as we said, Andrew Bosley and with the cards and the boards and everything, it's gorgeous. Now, I guess the question is, well, the buildings maybe. Maybe if the buildings were nice, beautifully illustrated bits of cardboard by Andrew Bosley again, they would still look just as beautiful. But those 3D shapes just coming out of your capital... They are wonders to behold. Yeah, I think if you're going to go down the argument of if they weren't there, the price would be cheaper, you can say the same thing for heaps of games. Yeah. But there's miniature games out there that people buy not for the game at all just because they're going to have miniatures. Well, so look at having beautiful three-dimensional stuff yeah. on a game 
is completely valid. Yeah, I was going to say and that. And I get to choose whether I want to pay it or not. You got that birthday present from your lovely brother-in-law, Trent, mm. um, bought you the GKR, GKR Killer Robots. Heavy Hitters. Yeah. That is incredibly expensive. Not the most fantastic of games. I've got to play it with you, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just, you know, you're paying your money for massive big mecha roboty things. Yeah, and I think they are completely valid mm. in this game. Mm. I think you will start your little capital city with the smaller little buildings, and thematically that makes sense. You've got a little tiny village, yep. a township that's getting bigger and bigger. And, look, the, the landmark buildings that you'll get for progressing into the, the second, third and fourth ages of each technology track progress in, in some semblance of order. So you go up the military track and the first thing you're going to create will be a forge or an armoury or something like that and it'll go up into a yep. tank production and then into a space fighty thing. Yeah, and if so you're on, the, on the tech track, I think there's like a library and then there's an academy and... While we're while we're talking about buildings, let's talk about your capital city. Yeah, because for me, this is one bit that I, I it's a bit of a head scratcher because it yes, it's definitely a it's a puzzle. It's like Sudoku. How do I fill out my three by three grid to get those free resources? Because as we said, free resources are huge. At the start of the game, a resource is a turn. So a free resource is another turn. That's massive. And turns can be very fleeting. You're also trying to fill those lines. All of the capitals have various different strange formations of red dots, which are pre-filled areas. Some of them seem better than the others. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some form of balancing there. But my main, well, my two main issues, one is those absolutely amazing buildings. You know, they fill larger spaces on the board. Now, most of them, they fill those spaces beautifully. But <laughs> some of them, the bases of the buildings just don't reflect the size of the nah. shape. And it's just a nuisance. In fact, I've even seen... I think it was on Etsy I've seen, you know, 3D printed clip-on bases to make it be exactly the shape. Now, this game hasn't been out that long and already people are producing those. It, it, look, it's not a necessity, but it's just, it's just a pain. It is. Go, well, you, does it fit or doesn't it fit? That's the thing. So, you know, your little individual buildings are... They all fit in one of the little squares. Mm. Simple. But you've got buildings that take up to nine squares and the ones that are usually the problems are, I find are the long and skinny yes. ones. So there's a... Don't know what the name of the building is, but it's a two by four square yeah. building that really looks like it fits two by three. Yes. And that's all because the base is just not big yeah. enough. And you would think if you're going to go to all the effort to make these amazing sculpts, make them tiny, tiny bit bigger yeah. so that they fit more yeah. consistently. As I said, it's that's a head scratcher. Now, the second one is... That spatial puzzle of your capital board where you get one victory point per row or one victory point per column, and as we said, you can multiply that up to maybe three yep. victory points for each one. And I did that in my last game. So in my very last scoring round, I think I had the maximum, which was three points per yep. row, and I might have had, nine, had nine. nine completed rows. And that took me the whole game to get yeah. to 27 points for that that scoring out of my score of about 175. Yeah, which which is a sizable, uh, you know, a, a substantive percentage of your score. And I know in the first game I played, I put a huge amount of effort 
into getting those buildings, into getting my houses all out on that capital board. And it's the same. I felt at the end like, yeah, but I didn't get that much. Yeah, and the reason for that is that for the first two to maybe three scoring eras, your, your income phase, you might be getting one, two, three points. Yeah. So, and the reason for that is you're focusing primarily on filling up the, the little squares to get your extra resource because, yeah. as you say, an extra resource is a turn. I, I'm, I'm sure it was tried. I, I would be curious to see how vast the scoring differences would be if you'd also get a point for every completed square. Yeah. Um, just to, to throw that into the mix because you basically need to fill up quite a few lines by mid-game to get... A lot of points out of this. That's the I thing, feel. yeah. And we should say this game definitely has uh, the feel of something like we talked about um, Russian Russian railroads. railroads mm. Where in your first turn you might get five points. Your first era, you know, your second era you might get twenty points. Your final era, your final scoring, you might get one hundred and fifty points. Like it really ramps up. Yeah. So it does say in the book a what's the wording? A great final score is three hundred VP. Mm-hmm. The best that one of us who've played it have, have been was Bo got 285. Yep. Um, last uh, last game you won with 230, 40, something like that? 250 something, something yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're getting to good scores. Yeah. But there's a spot there for 400 plus and yep. I don't know how you're going to get there just yet. Um, back to that spatial puzzle, in the last game where I did win, thank you for reminding me, Garth, <laughs> you know, I had, and I'm trying to think of the name of it, was it the tr- the Traders? My, anyway, my civilization had a little grid on it where I put those housey buildings instead of on my capital and I got benefits. I got resources, I got cards, I got victory points for these little tracks that I was sort of filling. That meant I was basically putting no effort at all into my capital. Yep. Now, you would think that's going to affect me and hopefully that'll balance out, but I, mean, I, I felt like I got a way... I got much better impact out of my civilization than I did by if I'd had those same buildings on my capital. Yeah, it's I was hard the, to tell. I was the exact opposite. I put a lot of effort and filled up the the, the capital city yeah. as much as I could. And as you said on the night, a, a walking uh, sorry a, a passerby would have gone, "Oh, Garth's probably winning that yes. because look how big his city is compared to the other players." But I end up coming third. It just doesn't give me enough points compared to some of the other yes. multipliers that you can get. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you've, if you're going to do it, you've got to ram home as hard and as fast as you can because doing a, a final score that gets you 27, 30 points is not going to be enough to make up for three other rounds of not really doing that well. And I think that's where, again, you know, you have to stress and people have to understand that that is building a little civilization, and this is not a civilization game. This is, as, as you said, it's an engine building game, mm. and the only the engine that those your capital is giving you is one off resources. So it's it's not an engine. It's like you yep. get one, and that's, that's what it. you get, and then those lines. And as you said, if you've if you get them early enough, and then if you get the houses off early enough, you can score those points multiple times. But if you don't you just I'm just not sure whether it's worth it. Yeah, no, that's completely valid. But, look, I we've been going on and on. I, I keep trying to think, what is it about this game? What? Because the first time I played it, I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really have a cohesive strategy. Um, I came second, 
Um, it was quite a good score, just over 200. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing during the game, but, it, man, I enjoyed myself. Yeah. It was – there was just something about it, and, and I, I mentioned it again the other night. I don't know whether it's like that sort of dopamine rush when you're playing a – uh, a video game or a computer game where because you're constantly upgrading and getting better gear and better stuff, you get a little rush every time you get a That's point it. you can spend on upgrading or you get a better gun or a better bit of looking bit of gear or something. I don't know if it's that same thing, but there is something that keeps you engaged and hooked because you're you're going up those tracks and each action you're taking is going to be slightly better and slightly better and you can see we're working our way up to those really, really great actions right at the end of the track. I don't know if that's it, but... It's, there's something that just keeps you hooked in. Yeah, look, I, for a game that we played twice in the last week and each game has gone for three hours, the second one particularly did not feel anywhere no. like that. And I feel constantly engaged in the, in the game. Now, each individual turn is so quick. Yeah. You do a thing, you pay for it, you're done. That's it. Your, your individual turn can be done in five seconds. It's engaging. You are curious about what the other people are doing. You're curious about what their civilizations are, what tapestry cards they're playing. But, yeah, the first game for a whole bunch of players is just going to be head-scratching and not figuring it out. Now, there is a very useful player reference for actually two of them in the, the game, which will show you what each each position on each of the tracks does, explains it quite nicely, because the rulebook does not do that. It tells you these are some main yeah. themes that each track has, but we recommend using the references as a, as a, a guide to you know let people just explore and um, you know do it on their own terms. Yeah, and look, I mean... To me, this is maybe a slight criticism, is clearly Jamie Stegmaier or someone was like, you know what would be awesome? Imagine if the rules were just like two double pages that opened. That would be fantastic. People just hate rules. That would draw people in just in itself and people think, wow, a game with only literally four pages of rules plus these guide cards. And I feel like maybe they have scrimped a bit on the rules or look it's the 25th century or something like that i feel like even just a qr code that took you to maybe an faq online that was constantly updated as obviously more and more people find uh, play this game and come across situations that the the rules and the guide sheets don't explain, yeah. that may, and, you know, there's a bit of blank space on there that's big enough for a QR code, that's for sure. Yeah, look, Something I, like that. I reckon you could have put another couple of pages in just for a bit more iconography because there's a lot of iconography in the game. Um, yeah, doubling the size of that would have made learning it and teaching it incredibly easy. I've personally watched the Rodney Smith Watch It Play mm -hmm. it twice. I also watched the John Gets Games version of it after playing it the first time just to make sure I hadn't missed anything. And yeah. um, both of them did a really great job. And obviously, you know, there's a trend to have more and more rules explanation being outsourced yes. to, to professional rules explainers. explainers. Mm -hmm. But you still need a rule book to be able to ask questions and have them answered. However, having said that, as you said right early on, there's really only two decisions to make. Have I got enough resources to keep taking turns on the tracks or do I halt and have an income turn and build myself up? And even that in itself creates some really interesting further decisions like one of the things I did in our game just the other night was I went up one era 
I don't even know if I had one turn and then I went up another era, era because I was like one of the last to go up and I could see there's actually some benefits to being one of the first to go to the next era. Era, you don't lose your resources. No. It's just that, that you're capped out at eight. And I guess, is there a possibility to get, use them all up, go down and go Correct. back up again? Yeah. In the end, I won that game. So you could say it was a sound decision. But, you know, in a game where there are only t those two decisions, that in itself is really interesting and yeah, fascinating. Agreed. I'm very happy to keep playing this game. I enjoy it. I'm sure we'll see it being played at uh, LFG's oh, SN Unplugged yes. this weekend. There has to be at least one copy kicking around and no doubt it will never leave the table. Yeah, and look, I think as long as you know what you're going into, which is this is an absolutely gorgeous game. There is a quite a bit of luck because you've got the luck of what civilization you will draw, the luck of what tapestry cards you will get, the luck of what technologies are available. All those things combine into a mega feast of luck, which you can do stuff about um, at some stages, but you might be really unlucky and get a civilization and then get tapestry cards that don't go with it at all. That's part of the puzzle of working it out. And hey, maybe that's part of, well, this game's not going so great, but the next game, I'm going to do something different. Yeah, I agree. I've played two completely different games here and I've enjoyed both of them. I'll happily play it again. Probably not this weekend because I want to try new stuff, yeah. but I, I will love to sit down and play this again and try it at some different player counts because it's got a double-sided board. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I think I prefer Scythe still. Okay. But I find this intriguing. Okay. It's, it's a puzzle not to be worked out but to be enjoyed. And I yeah. think that's the danger of this is people are going to go down the path of, well, if you get this civilization and you get this tapestry, you know, like sort of solve the puzzle. And I don't think it wants to be solved. And hopefully, you know, there'll be expansions which will uh, have new civilizations, new tapestry cards, new technologies to stop you from solving the puzzle Indeed. because there's some joys in life in not solving things. Indeed. And on that bombshell we got to go out and wow. pack mark because uh, this time tomorrow we'll be playing lots of games so if anyone who listens is going to be at lfg uh, essence unplugged at the east lake football club from tomorrow friday the 22nd through to the 24th come say hi yeah we'll be there for the whole time uh love to play some games with you um and charles and renee and everyone from uh, from lfg get ready we are on our way thank you so much to lfg for their sponsorship we have been the Dice Men Comer. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with episode 286 where we'll tell you all about the things we did at LFGS and Unplugged, but we're gone. Bye. Bye. This has been an edit of the Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.